You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Good morning. Let's get our Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 18. And have we got the slide up? Yep. Okay. Let's pray first. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your holy word. Now, Lord, we pray that you will make your word effective in our hearts and in our minds and through the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let's read this together. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of Christ Jesus, interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation." taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you be glad and rejoice with me. And that is the word of the Lord. Okay, in this passage, this is the theme. Joy comes through dwelling in humble relationships of mutual sacrificial service in complete unity. That is joy, our Christian joy comes through dwelling in humble relationships of mutual sacrificial service in complete unity. Now there's a sort of sub point here and it's, it's just not about you and God. We often, in Western culture, we often paint the Christian life as being about me and Jesus, it's just me and Jesus, I'm on my horse back in the middle of Montana and I'm just praying to Jesus and there's the cowboy He's the individualist, uh, and he has this faith that's just him and Jesus. Well, that's not the way it actually works, and we'll get into that later on. Joy comes from dwelling in humble relationships. You get joy out of your Christian relationships uh, of mutual sacrificial service in complete unity. How we treat one another determines the quality of our spiritual life and energy. Uh, uh, 
another way of looking at it is that God treats you the way that you treat others. If you're proud, God is distant from you. If you're meek and gentle, God will come close to you. If you're humble, he will be right beside you. He dwells with the lowly and the contrite of spirit. So the meek inherit the earth and God is merciful to those who are merciful, but he judges those who are proud and cruel. So the rule of thumb in the Bible is that God treats you the way that you treat others. And if you are harsh and you are judgmental and you look down on people, God will be harsh and judgmental and look down on you. So the quality of our relationships determines the joy and gives the quality of our spiritual life and energy. So here's a little diagram, a greatly oversimplified diagram, but uh, uh, what we have is God, and then we have all these different Christians down there. And the energy flows from God. God is light. God is energy. God is fire. God is our hope. God is our energy. He pours spiritual energy into us. And in the English translations of the Bible, we've completely skipped over a very important word called energeia. Energeia, which for us, where we get the English word energy from, talks about spiritual energies. In the passage of spiritual gifts, it actually says there are many gifts and also many energies that come out of God, many energeia, uh, that flow from the heaven into us and out to other people. So God's love flows to one person who gets filled up with God's love and shares it. Or God's joy comes to someone like Blessing and she gets up there and boing, she's full of the joy of the Lord, and she shares that energy out with all of us. So the energy comes to us and then comes out to others. So here we have God giving to... I had a problem here. I had to find two and three-letter names to fit in the circles. So anyway, so, so God sends his energy down to Sam and Eve and Bob, and they share it through those arrows down to Jim and Sue and who and etc. etc. And around and around the energy goes until it gets blocked by sin, by envy, by disputing, by dis disunity, and a squabbling that goes on. So how does it get messed up? Next slide. Yeah. How to kill joy and drain energy. We've all met energy draining people. You talk to them for 10 minutes and you want to run out of the room. Because they you never know what it's like at my house, blah, 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 blah. And you immediately talk to them and you just know it's going to be like that every week and you avoid them for coffee time or tea time because they're just sucking the life out of you. They're draining energy from you. Or you've been in a workplace that every day you come home and you've got a headache and oh, right? Because your energy is being taken out of you. Factions, cliques, disunity, selfish competition, arrogance, haughtiness, entitlement, status seeking and politics, grumbling and complaining. These all drain the life out of us. And this passage in Philippians 2, 1 to 18 is saying, don't go down this road. It argues against these things over and over again. This is when our ego is in control. We go there. Uh, when our ego is in control, the ego is always thinking, how am I being treated? What's going to happen to me? How is this going to affect me at all times? There's no sense of duty, no sense of otherness. It becomes a self-centered, self-absorbed little pity party and it sucks all the energy out of themselves and out of other people. And so the ego gets in control. Now, 
But many years ago, I used to do career counselling, workplace counselling, resolving workplace disputes for companies in the government. And I was asked to come and fix a particular bus company that was in deep trouble because its bus drivers had got so angry, school bus drivers, these were school bus drivers, they got so mad at the kids, they were starting to assault the children. Wow. And even in Australia, which is pretty rough, and this was sort of semi-outback Australia, that is not acceptable. Uh, the school bus drivers, they were big men, they were angry men, they felt at the bottom of society, and I had to go and straighten these up, and they said, come and teach us emotional intelligence, which is something I was teaching at that time, uh, and, and straighten up this bus company. And I walked into the room, and it was pure negativity. Like, 60 bus drivers in the room, we're not listening to you, you weedy little thing, you know? <laughs> Uh, and they, it was, they were angry, they were hostile, they were competitive, they were full of starter-seeking and politics and grumbling and complaining. And eventually I had to get, re I tried one session to be reasonable, the next session I had to get blunt. And I said, if you don't change, you're going to end up in one of three places, jail, hospital or the morgue. If you punch out a student, you're going to go to jail. If you keep on with these negative attitudes, you'll get ulcers and you'll end up in hospital. If you keep on going further and further, you're going to have a heart attack and end up in the morgue. Your negative attitudes are killing your career and they're killing your health. And at this point, I said, how do you feel stressed? Do you feel stressed? Yes. Do you think that's any good for your body? Yeah, we know. And I had to get really real with them uh, and like verbal two by four, not a physical two by four, but give them a bit of Dr. Phil shock therapy <laughs> and straighten this bus company out because it had become a place of total misery and all the energy was being drained out of that company. Okay, now the opposite of that was the Jerusalem church. Let's have a look at how Philippians 2, 1 to 18 is fulfilled by the Jerusalem church. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favour with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. So what's happening here? They're doing the Philippians 2, 1 to 18 thing. They're considering other people's interests, not just their own. They're selling their own property and helping the poor person. They're being sacrificial like Jesus gave up all his rights and came down to earth uh, and died on a cross. They were giving up their rights to their property and, and giving out to They were joyful. They were humble. They had great relationships with one another. They were meeting together. They were, this joy was flowing through them because they were having relationships of unity. So the energy was coming through God down to the apostles, down to the deacons, down to everyone else, and it was flowing through the Jerusalem church. And it was such a happy place that people were coming there and getting saved. It was so good. They were eating together. They were living together. There was Christian community happening here because the energy of heaven was coming down through all those little arrows and relationships and being distributed through the power of the Holy Ghost. And again, I would say, it's not about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus and a lot of other people. And the you and Jesus thing, okay, you prayed your sinner's prayer and you got saved, but now you've got to love your neighbour. 
You've got to go out there and be nice, be humble, be patient, be kind, and all those things that are such a struggle for all of us. It's not easy being humble and patient and kind. It's not easy not competing. It's not easy just putting the things aside. And we'll, we'll look at some of the balance points on this as we go later on. Okay, so here's a simple diagram. Um, here's my, if I was a primary school teacher, I would have a diagram like this. Happy church equals considers others. Right? Sad church equals self-centered individuals. As we consider one another, as you give someone a lift to church, as you take care of people, as you pray for people, as you think, oh, I better ring that person up, then you have a happy church. But we have a sad church. That church isn't meeting my needs. By goodness, that preaching was so boring. Blah, 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 blah. And I didn't like that song. And when everyone's behaving like that, and oh, Mrs. Blah, 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 blah. And she was wearing the wrong shoes last Sunday. Uh, and those is a self-centered church full of miserable people, isn't it? We've got to get out of that self-talk that's in our head, that chattery, annoying thing that tries to run our life from within our own ego, right? The one that looks at, that person didn't park straight this morning, did they? That little commentary voice that's going through us that's based in our own ego, that's relentlessly criticizing, comparing and competing, we have to switch that voice off because it is not constructive. Right? We have to say, oh, that's not the voice of Jesus, not the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's not the voice of love. It, that voice that is perpetually annoyed whenever you're driving somewhere or when you have to wait in a restaurant or this or that, you have to switch that off because it very easily takes control. I know it easily takes control of me. If I'm not watching it, I am a very time-bound person. I get impatient. I, no, come on, come on, let's get this moving. Uh, and so that can steal my joy. So we have to consider other people as more important than ourselves. Hello? I think the battery might be dead on this clicker. Hello? Uh, uh, that's skipped something. I know it has No, no. Okay, basic behaviours. I'll spend some time on this slide. Be of one mind, avoid selfish competition, also consider the interests of others, do everything without grumbling, complaining or arguing. So in the verse, now in the, in the book of Philippians, it often talks about the mind, and there's a whole group, it all comes from the friend word family, P-H-R-E-N, and here in this passage, mind equals mental outlook. So instead of the little word mind, Think mental outlook, at fundamental attitude to light. Your basic orientation to the way you think. So it's a bit more than purpose. It's the way you look at it. So the group, the church, needs to be a one general outlook, looking at the world the same way, in a general sense of unity. Now, of course, you've all got different minds. Some of you are dentists, some are doctors, some are nurses. You know, whatever your occupation is, you, you think differently. But as a group, as a church, you need to have the same general outlook, which is the kingdom outlook. You want to look on the harvest. You want to reap souls for the kingdom of God. 
You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be glorifying God. You want to have that mental outlook, which is the mental outlook of Christ Jesus, which we'll look at later. We want to avoid selfish competition uh, and doing everything out of conceit and, and selfish ambition. It's okay to be ambitious, but be ambitious for God. Be ambitious for the good things. Be ambitious for the gospel. Don't be selfishly ambitious as you've got to have a better car than your next door neighbour or, or, or you've got to have uh, this or, or that. Be uh, the like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Also consider the interests of others. Now the actual word here in the Greek for consider the interests of others, uh, it's actually all kind of colloquial. It's a, a, the word interests isn't actually in there. It's don't just be on the lookout for yourself, but also on the lookout for others. It's on the lookout. It's the, for the word getting a, a spyglass or a telescope and scanning the horizon or being up at the top of the mask of the sailing ship looking out over the sea. It's don't just be on the lookout for your own interests, but be on the lookout concerned for the interests of others. So, oh yes, I just saw something. Uh, that's a job opportunity. And oh, Samantha over here would be perfect for that job. So you're looking out for her interests, and you say, hey, uh, there's a job opening over there, why don't you take it? So you're thinking about other people's opportunities and other people's success as well as your own. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. Now, there's actually two sides to this. Uh, again, I'm sorry for going back to the Greek a lot, but if you do everything without complaining, you end up with a, a, a terrible society. <laughs> uh, I've been, spent quite a bit of time in Thailand, where no one complains about anything. And the place is rife with drugs and sex trade and everything else because no one addresses anything. Nothing is ever complained about, right? Or, or if you go into China, the air pollution in Beijing, if you go back a few years, they've started to complain about it now. If you go back a few years, it was, ah, oh, we have wonderful Communist Party, we like air pollution, air pollution sign of progress, we like air pollution. It was like this, because you weren't allowed to criticise the government. And if you criticise the air pollution, you were criticising the government and they would throw you in jail. Right? So in order to have an effective society, you sometimes have to complain, but complain in a constructive manner. So the actual word for complaining here, uh, and I've forgotten it, but it's a long Greek word that sounds like where you're mumbling. It basically means moaning about. Don't moan about. You know, when you're moaning about. I don't know, I don't know, this is no good, I don't like this, I don't like that. The potato wasn't hot enough, the soda was weak, whatever. That moaning about attitude, that doesn't change anything, right? So we've got to stop moaning about and arguing. On the other hand, sometimes you have to take constructive action and issue a complaint and take, you know, move society forward in your thing. So there is a valid place for complaining. And we find that in, in uh, The Persistent Widow in Luke 18 and other things like that. Hello? Okay. So another way out of our self-centeredness, our self-absorption, our energy-draining, joy-killing, misery-gut stuff is to be on mission. Now, Jesus, when he came down, and he, uh, now I would have loved to teach on the theology of this but I, I'm constrained to pastoral, not theological. And so he's there, he's uh, 
in the very nature God, he's in the form of God, he's being worshipped by angels, he decides to take on the, the body of a human being, to die on the cross, to be humble as a servant. Why did he do all that? Because he was on mission. Right? He was following, he said, the, I need the salvation of John and Minda Edmiston is more important than my own life. The salvation of Ed is more important than my own life. The salvation of all of you in the church is more important than him being comfortable in heaven. And later on, we'll be sending out Ari, and she's going out to a very uncomfortable place, right? Because she thinks mission is more important than her own comfort. Right? So to be on mission, let's look at some of the verses here, Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and, taking, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he inconvenienced himself, to put it mildly. <laughs> he got out of his comfort zone, out of his pleasure zone and died on a cross for our salvation. And Paul follows in this. In the last couple of verses here, he talks about his own ministry. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you shall be glad and rejoice with me. He was pouring himself out into mission, into service. He had some terribly rough times getting stoned and beaten, but he poured himself out into other people and he found the joy of the Lord in the process. And he could say, rejoice with me, because he was rejoicing. He had definitely gone a long way out of his comfort zone. Now, I'm, I'm reading through Nehemiah at the moment because I'm doing a little study on leadership for my own purposes. And let's have a look at Nehemiah 5, 17 and 18. Ezra and Nehemiah 5, 17 and 18. Now, he's, he's taken over as governor of Judah. The whole country is in a complete mess after the exile. And this is what he says. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once in every day is an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on the people. So just think about this. He's from every day, he's 150 plus people. One huge ox, six sheep, plus chickens and everything. That's like a wedding reception every day. He did this for 12 years. Can you imagine, what's a wedding reception? 50 grand for 150 people, 30 bucks a head, whatever. Right? Not, that's the cheap end of a wedding reception. Right? $50,000 a day. $350,000 a week. Over a million dollars a month out of his own pocket. That's a lot. $12 million a year out of his own pocket so he wouldn't burden the people of Judah. Now, obviously, he was a rich guy. <laughs> but he said, God, remember me, because, like, he, if, if that's $12 million a year for 12 years, $144 million just providing food and keeping a political presence going in the governor's palace. That's a lot of money. That's a big sacrifice. And when... And when they're starting to, to rebuild the temple and, and, and want some temple utensils. He writes a check for $300,000, which is 300 drachmas of gold. He just writes a check, here's $300,000, get some... Whoa! 
straight out of his own pocket. I mean, this guy is putting it out there day after day after day in order not to burden the people because he considered the interests of others more important than himself and he could have just used his expense account for all of this, but he didn't do it. Okay. So what we find is a little bit of service gives a great big amount of reward. Uh, we go down when we serve. That's the, the arrow, the down arrow. It's hard serving God. It's hard going to a place where the bathroom doesn't work and, and on the mission field. It's hard going to a place where, uh, you know, I was in, a, in Mindanao at one point, the house was full of a, a, a thing called book book. It's kind of like a little black termite that eats through the timber. And I woke up one night because I was sleeping in shorts, it was so hot, and my chest and legs were covered in these little black book book. Uh, insects crawling all over me, and I nearly lost it. Actually, I didn't nearly lose it. I did lose it! <laughs> I'm like, ah! <laughs> uh, I do not like insects crawling on me. Uh, anything worse than book book spiders, I do not like spiders. Uh, anyway, so I just freaked out, you know. It was one of my bad missionary moments. And you go down in service, and later on, God rewards you and blesses you. Okay. God will reward your sacrifice. Let's look at what happened to Jesus. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Let's go back there. Philippians. Oh, that's nice. It turned there. Okay. Therefore, God has also exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he was glorified because he humbled himself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time he will exalt you. Your service will pay off. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, some well-known verses. Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Okay, 1 and 2. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finishers of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went through all he knew he was going to go through. He went through Gethsemane and the cross because he knew he would rejoice when he saw so many brothers and sisters coming into the kingdom of God as the, a result of what he had done. He knew he would have the joy of uh, receiving the name that is above every name. Uh, and there's a whole sermon on his enthronement in heaven, which is hardly ever taught about. But he was enthroned after he, he ascended uh, into heaven. Uh, and before Pentecost, he was enthroned at the right hand of God. So he was greatly rewarded for his sacrifice. And so after the, the wonderful bit about Jesus, Paul then jumps in and with what, what seems a little bit of a, a disconnect, but actually makes sense. And verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is willing and working for his good pleasure in me, in you, and in this church. So he, he, God wants to say, Norwalk Church is one of my amazing works. 
He, he wants to delight in what he's done here. He wants to delight in each one of you. He wants to delight in what he has made me, he's taken me from and made me into. He wants to show his handiwork in you. He's willing and working for his good pleasure. He wants to be saying, whoa, this is amazing. Look what's happening here. Look what God is doing among these people and at this time. So it then says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, this uh, has not come out well. Okay, down in the bottom, almost unreadable. I don't know how that happened. But sinned, we are saved out of things. Now, uh, we are saved. Salvation and sanctification are two words, long words we use. But salvation is the, the, the state of being saved out of some horrible thing. Like the, you, you would be there and the Philistines would be about to beat you up and someone would save you from the Philistines. Some terrible circumstance and you're pulled out of that. You're drowning. You're pulled out of the water. You are saved. So we are saved from sin, death, hell, from demons, from disease, from the world, from the flesh, from the devil, from evil men and from crises. Now the word salvation is very, very big. The verb is sozo, the, 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 the noun is soteria. And it's, these are big words. That, so, and so salvation isn't just getting saved and going to heaven and, and that's it. You've prayed your sin and prayer. That's all there is to salvation. Salvation is much bigger than all of that. So we are working out all that Christ has done for us. We're not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation. Okay. We make real what is imputed and, in, and internal. When you're working out your salvation, you've got Christ in your heart, but Christ has to travel out of your heart, to your fingers, to your toes, out your mouth, and you need to be saved from the junk that's in you. Uh, you need to be saved from your pride, from your ego, from your lust. You need to be saved out of your bad memories and have healing of your memories. You need to be saved from your emotional pain. You need to be saved from your baggage. You need to be saved from the things that mess your life up. You need to be saved from the attacks of the demons and the devil against you. You need to be saved from the temptations of this world. And we are working this out all the time. This is a continual thing. Yes, you are saved, but you're also being saved. And if we go back to the Acts 2 passage very quickly, ding, 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 there. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. We are both saved and being saved at the same time. Sanctification is where you end up after you have been saved. It's sort of like the arrival point. So you're sanctified after you've got rid of all the junk in yourself. So, where are we? Okay. So there's all this continually being saved, things that are going on within us, and we need to cooperate with God. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what's the fear and trembling? It's not fear and trembling at God. So that may be sometimes present if you ended up in gross sin. You fear and tremble uh, as if, no, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that sin in my life. I don't want my temper anymore. I don't want this anymore. No. I, I, no. Right? Sub me and spiders. No. Right? I don't want that. Right? So the, uh, you look at that sin, you look at where you've been, and you say, I'm not going back there. You're not going back to those drugs. You're not going back to that... Just uh, uh, 
competitive lifestyle. You're not going back to this or that. You're leaping away from it in fear and trembling. No, 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 no. I'm not going back there. Right? You are separating yourself from a sinful lifestyle. And you're saying, no, I am holy and I am in fear and trembling. I am not going back to watching this or doing that or getting my mind involved in that particular state. And if you've got a mental habit that you've, it might be a self-pity or something like that or of anxiety and you are about to go there again. You're about to be full of self-pity, you're about to be full of anxiety, you're about to start in your worry wart mode and you go, no, nope, I've been there before, it doesn't work. Or you're about to get resentful of your sister-in-law, brother-in-law, in-laws and outlaws and you're about to get in that, oh, I can't put up with them, I can't put up with them, why do we have to have them over for Thanksgiving? And you know where that's going to go. And you say, no, I'm not going there anymore. You have fear and trembling because you want to live in the love of God. And you stand back from your sin and you don't go where you know you have been. Right? And you stay away from it. So this is working out our salvation. Okay, conclusion. How are we going, Tom? Oh, okay, good. Uh, joy flows from unity and brings unity. So when we're united, when all that wonderful spiritual energy is flowing around the room, we feel happy because we're picking up that energy. That energy is good, it makes us happy, it makes us joyful, and we have unity and it brings joy, and joy creates unity because people want to be around happy people, right? They want to be part of that group and it sort of pulls together in a nice happy flow. Joy comes from treating each other well. You're happy when someone treats you well. Right? You're unhappy when someone treats you rudely. Rudeness is the first sign of aggression and hostility. Right? That's why we got to... Manners, is... manners are good things. Being well-mannered is a good thing. It's a polite thing. God wants us to be a gentleman or whatever, to treat people well and graciously, to make them comfortable, to care about their feelings. Joy comes as we serve sacrificially, and put the interests of others ahead of our own and put God's interests ahead of, of those and we work sacrificially and it will come eventually. There'll be some dark days. Joy comes as we live and work out our salvation with fear and trembling and stop going near those things that will destroy our joy and destroy our dreams. As we stay away from the dream-destroying energy-getting-rid-of thing. So that's our conclusion. Now, we're going to have the worship team come up, they're going to sing a song, and then we're going to go and have Ari come up and Pastor Thel. Uh, but as we do that, I want you to think about how you can increase the joy in your life. And I'm going to pray for you. There's something you need to have a bit of fear and trembling about and get rid of. Do you need to stop grumbling and complaining? Do you need to change your stinking thinking? All right? And, we're going to, and I'm going to pray. You're going to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. And then... During the worship team, I want you to reflect. Okay, let's stand up. Lord, we receive your joy by faith. We believe that we are receiving the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the joy of the Lord maintains us and strengthens us. And we confess that we've often thought that our Christian life is just about us and you. And we've just got on in our own little tunnel without thinking about other people or about what you really want us to do. And so we come out of that 
we confess our selfishness and our self-absorption and our self-pity and our self-everything else. And where it applies, Lord, we say we repent. We repent of our self-concern. We repent of our irritability. We repent of all the things that make our life uh, difficult for us and difficult for others. And Lord, we ask that you'll fill us with unity, with grace, with the concern for others, with a nice attitude, with joy coming from heaven. We ask that you will lead us on the path of joy, that we will work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we will walk on that narrow path, and that we will be of service to God, and we will know it, and we will know in our hearts that we have the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.